Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Four weeks. Four weeks from tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of September 11. Four weeks away I hope you're buying your Steven Singer pins and supporting 9-11 related charities. It's the final time we're doing that. Those events have impacted every day since. Just look at today's news, look at today's newscasts and every newspaper in the country. My survey question at Smirconish.com today asks the following. Does the Taliban retaking of Afghanistan mean it was a mistake for the U.S. to leave? Is your reaction, oh, my God, the Taliban are not even waiting for the door to hit the U.S. in the butt on the way out? We must have just made a huge mistake because that's not my reaction, that the Taliban is already capitalizing on American withdrawal announced, initiated by President Biden. That's beyond dispute. There are color-coded maps all over the Internet and on the airwaves today that show you just how rapid the advance has been that they are uh, taking control of the country, I think is unmistakable. And the story is changing by the hour, but each of the reports is is worse. It's a report of yet another area under Taliban control. And nevertheless, mine's a no vote, meaning, no, it does not mean it was a mistake to get out. We can talk about the, the withdrawal execution for sure, but I think it's a I think it's the right call to get out. And we should have got out a lot sooner. In fact, I would go so far as to turn this on its head and say the rapid the rapid pace of the Taliban advance is actually confirmation that we are right to get out. Because by my way of thinking, if 20 years of of spending and 20 years of training, 20 years of boots on the ground on our part, if that didn't prepare Afghanistan to stand on its own two feet, against the Taliban, then what would have? I mean, you'll have to answer that question for me. If you're going to call and and argue that it's a mistake for us to leave, then I want to know, is 50 years the benchmark? Is 75 years the benchmark? I mean, in 100 years, if we were 100 years removed from September 11 and still there, what would you say then? 
The history of the country says otherwise. You look at the the Brits, you look at the Soviets with the 79 invasion, now look at the United States. No amount of time, no amount of money, in my view, would change Afghanistan from charting its own course. And again, if you disagree and think otherwise, then I would ask whether it's worth the loss of any more Americans to stick around. It's a pretty easy question for for me to answer. It was the time to leave. In fact, it was beyond the time to leave because I can't defend the loss of one more American dying in support of what is, I like the word futile, futile, rather than losing. It is a futile effort. There's just no way of, of winning that war. Does that mean that we lost? Well, to answer that question, I need to ask, What was the objective in going in? 2,312 is the count that I have in front of me in terms of how many Americans died in Afghanistan. 2,312. 20,066 is the latest number that I've seen wounded in action in Afghanistan. Who knows how many came home with residual emotional mental injuries that are not a part of the 20,066. The key question is, you know, what do you say to the families of of those 2,312? I would dissuade them from thinking that they died in vain. The mission was noble. The mission needed to be carried out because post-September 11, I, I know the POTUS audience recognizes this, but it bears stating again, where was bin Laden post-September 11, he was being protected and hiding, protected by the Taliban and hiding in Afghanistan. You know, the mission to go get him and kill him and those responsible for September 11, that was noble. The mistake was for us to react to the events of 9-11 by using a shotgun blast instead of a sniper's approach, more of a law enforcement approach of let's go get those responsible. And then, of course, There was a multiplier effect with our errors because we sought to leverage the events of September 11 into trying to make regime change, not only in Afghanistan, but also in Iraq under the guise of WMDs. Man, oh man, I'm just thinking about all the things that have happened and I've commented on and written about and we've discussed over the years. And of course, the Vietnam parallels that I'm reading in social media comments are unmistakable. And in some respects, accurate, Uh, except for, you know, we went into we went into Vietnam because the French were failing and we thought it was going to be the spread of communism all over the world. If we didn't stop it in its tracks, it was different with September 11 and an unprovoked attack and, and our need to retaliate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yesterday I said that the one point two trillion dollar infrastructure package was a good thing. That was our conversation in the first hour of the program yesterday. A truly bipartisan, much needed, uh, overdue investment in roads and bridges and rails and broadband, all good. And then I questioned whether the $3.5 trillion soft, or I think one of my callers encouraged me to start saying human infrastructure. What did I say about that? I said, is it something we can afford? I can't look at the events of today, the looming fall of Afghanistan, without imagining if the money we spent there had been spent at home. 
Again, uh, we needed to be there, just not in the way we went. We needed to go get bin Laden. Afghanistan has cost us, according to the latest Pentagon figures, $824.9 billion. We weren't wrong to go there, to hunt bin Laden, to kill those responsible for September 11. The mistake that was made probably was made at the end of 2001. Uh, I made reference uh, in an interview that I did here this week with Peter Bergen, wrote this phenomenal book of him, The Events of September 11, The Rise and Fall of Bin Laden. And I hadn't thought about Gary Bernson for a while, but Gary Bernson is a name that comes up in Bergen's book. Gary Bernson, many, many years ago, 15 years ago, was a guest of mine on radio because I read his book. He was, was 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 he a ranger? I'm trying to think of what exactly was his stripe um, in the military, but he was the guy, boots on the ground at Tora Bora at the end of 2001 when, and I remember Gary Bernson telling me that he listened to an intercepted radio signal and believed he heard bin Laden's voice. That's how close they were. And then they, they dropped a daisy cutter bomb. I remember Gary telling me that it was the size of a Volkswagen. We dropped a bomb as big as a Volkswagen where we thought bin Laden was hiding. Well, bin Laden got away. And when we knew he got away at the end of 2001, in retrospect, and, you know, hindsight's 2020, that's probably when we should have come home. That's probably when we should have come home. And, you know, full disclosure, I bought into all of it at the time. Chris Matthews was here yesterday Sorry if I'm, I'm, I'm free-flowing here, but just a lot of thoughts on a momentous day, I think. Chris Matthews was here yesterday telling stories about uh, his life and media career. And one of the things we were discussing in the interview yesterday was him, 2004, broadcasting hardball uh, from Herald Square, not far from Madison Square Garden, where the Republicans were holding their convention. I was there. I was there at the time. I don't think I had a television presence, but I was there then delivering my radio program from New York City every day. And we were talking, we were joking yesterday about Zell Miller. You remember Zell Miller uh, challenging Chris to a duel? What I remember most about the 2004 convention in New York City, so this was W's re-election, was the mantra of we need to fight him over there so that we don't have to fight him here. And my recollection, 90 plus percent sure of this, is that those were words that you heard not only from Zell Miller, who was a Democratic senator from Georgia supportive of the Bush administration, but also from Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld. And that was wrong. That was wrong. The, the idea of we need to do this there because otherwise they're coming here again. He conflated Al-Qaeda, which sought to export terror in retaliation for what they believed was our incursion of what they call the Arabian Peninsula. That's Al-Qaeda. That's Bin Laden. And the Taliban, which gave comfort to Al-Qaeda, but didn't pose a threat to us on our shores. That's what the Taliban is. And it was also based on the false premise that 
instilling democracy would ensure a Western-friendly response. You know, the old idea that Israel's our only friend in the Middle East because they're a democracy. If only we had more democracy in the Middle East, we'd have more friends like Israel, which presupposes that we would get elected governments that support us, which is not necessarily the case. In the early days of the war, I was doing mornings, and I used to have a regular guest, like monthly on the program, over a period of a couple of years, at least that's what I remember, Michael O'Hanlon from the Brookings Institution. And the reason that I would bring O'Hanlon on is that uh, Brookings would tabulate and then publish, they would do it in the Times in a grid, data for initially for Afghanistan, and then for both Afghanistan and Iraq. And it was what you would expect would be the tangible markers of how we're doing. For example, how many troops do we have there? How many troop deaths have there been? What's the size in thousands of the Afghan security force? Here, for example, May 2003, there were 15,000 in the Afghan security force. And then May 2005, there were 50,000. May 2007, there were 112,000. May 2009, 170,000. Like you could chart progress or decline. How many Afghan civilian deaths were there from the war? Uh, What's the opium production? But there were also things that, that kind of brought it home. For example, how many telephone subscribers are in Afghanistan? And in May of 2003, there were 1.1 million. And by May of 2009, it grows to 7.07 million. How many kids are in school? You know, May of 2003, 2.9 million are in school. By May of 2009, 6.3. What's the favorability rating of the United States by the people of Afghanistan? Well, here was a troublesome sign. It was 80% in May of 2003. It was 80% in the early days. By May of 2009, it was 32%. And then similarly, they, they tracked the Iraq data, including things like how many trained Iraqi judges are there? What's the electricity production? What's the oil production? What's the unemployment rate, et cetera, et cetera? And these markers, they ebbed and they flowed. For a while, it looked promising, is my point. But it was never self-sustaining. It was never self-sustaining. Here's an interesting question. Beyond the survey of asking, does the fall of Afghanistan necessarily mean it was a mistake to leave, I vote no. You vote however you want. Another question. Are we going to learn from this? And what will we learn? Will we in 20 or 30 years repeat the mistake, if not sooner? The very latest, before I was coming on air and I went to the Washington Post because they seem to have the most detailed coverage at my fingertips, uh, here, here was the view as of coming on the air. The Taliban overran three key cities in Afghanistan on Friday, inching the country's government closer to collapse in the final days of the U.S. withdrawal. Local officials said Afghan government troops have retreated from Kandahar, Herat, and Lakshar Gah. The seizures mark the biggest victory yet for the militants who now control more than a dozen of the country's provincial capitals and are closing in on the national capital of Kabul. 
in Kandahar and Herat, Afghan government troops and officials have retreated to bases on the outskirts of the cities, according to local officials, and clashes are ongoing around the central government compounds, etc., etc., etc. Now the administration negotiating with the Taliban so that this doesn't look ugly a la Saigon in, what, 1975? We all, don't we all have those who were around uh, or are stu- students of modern history? Don't we all have that image in our heads of of the helicopter leaving the rooftop from Vietnam? Are we headed for that? God, I hope not. And of course, already, you know, it becomes, uh, should we blame Joe Biden for the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan? Mark uh, Halpern in the wide world of news today uh, highlighted David Ignatius writing in the New York Times and then Frederick Kagan also in the uh, or Ignatius, pardon me, in the Washington Post. Let me just let me just give you two competing views, if I might. Ignatius, who's been a guest on this program and writes about international security, quote, Biden was said by close associates to be resolute in his decision to withdraw U.S. forces, despite the rapidly deteriorating situation and the temporary return of troops to shepherd the sharp reduction in U.S. embassy personnel. Biden has felt strongly since 2009 that the United States should pursue only a limited mission in Afghanistan. And as president, he moved quickly to withdraw troops, despite contrary advice from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The speed of the Taliban's advance has been a stunning demonstration of battlefield momentum in which one victory fuels another, and of the immense psychological impact of Biden's decision to withdraw all U.S. combat troops without a solid plan to stabilize the country afterward. For Biden and other senior officials, the biggest surprise is that the Afghan military hasn't performed better on the battlefield since the president announced he would pull the plug. Sure, we can have a conversation as to how we got out, the speed with which this is happening. But on the fundamental question of should we be getting out, I'm still an emphatic we should. Yes. Contrary view now, more critical than Ignatius of Joe Biden is Frederick Kagan from the American Enterprise Institute in The Times today. Quote, a disastrous Taliban takeover wasn't inevitable. President Biden said his hands were tied to a withdrawal given the awful peace deal negotiated by the Trump administration and the Taliban, but there was still a way to pull out American troops while giving our Afghan partners a better chance to hold the gains we made with them over the last two decades. Mr. Biden chose otherwise. The way he announced the drawdown and eventual departure of American troops at the start of the fighting season on a rapid timeline and sans adequate coordination with the Afghan government has in part gotten us into the current situation. Probably a little truth in each of those assessments. Maybe there was just no clean way to go. Maybe there was just no way absent making an extended commitment, which I think is not in our best interest. Maybe it was always going to have to end ugly. And it's ending ugly now as we are, as I said, four weeks from tomorrow, the 20th anniversary of September 11. Does the Taliban retaking of Afghanistan mean it was a mistake for the U.S. to leave? No. 
Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.